0: Under your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble!
1: Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. I am in a fantastic mood this evening. This is the album of the day from Tyrone Davis. song is You Wouldn't Believe, 1972. My roommate, Andrew, just got in a big shipment of vinyl records. <laughs> and uh, I'm also in a good mood because ratings came out today. And the ratings showed, I mean, I guess Donald Rumsfeld did the whole unknown knowns, known unknowns. And as far as unknown knowns, you know, things that apparently you know, but you don't know, really. They're just built in. Apparently, I know what women want. But, so, excuse me, pardon me, but I think women want... More Tom Riello. Hey, Tom.
0: He is my guest this evening. How are you? Well, Joey, it is great to be back. And, uh, yes, great news. Number one, one, I hope I don't hurt the ratings, Joey. Oh, no, I don't think you I hope I don't tank. For you,
1: no. You do radio, you know, you, know. I, you know.
0: Last night you had the the wrestling guest uh, on, and uh, you know, uh, maybe I can pop. Maybe I can pop yeah. with the audience. Yeah, but we don't get that instant feedback. I got to wait another three, four
1: uh, months. Well, I know, I and know. I can't blame it on any particular guest. So you're safe. <laughs> Plus, I'll take all the blame. And I didn't know you were a big uh, or as a you said as a kid, yeah, you were a wrestling kid. fan.
0: Oh, as a kid, I, I I lived and died with it. Saturday morning, Saturday night. You know, then when we got cable in the, in the late seventies, you know, super. Superstation, WTBS, Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yeah. I'd watched the Florida Championship Wrestling. I was all into it. The magazines. <laughs> yeah, when I was
1: over at St. Bede, my mom only let me watch WCW. And now that I've gone back and watched the old WWF at the time, Raws, I see why she wouldn't let my nine-year-old self watch them.
0: Yeah, he, uh, McMahon uh, kind of went a, a little uh, risque, I would say. Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, th- That's kind of when I tuned out. Like, ah, th- I'm, I'm not really into that. Well, and... I
1: remember though at St. Pete had to be fifth grade, sixth grade, fifth grade, and uh, we would come in and talk about Goldberg. <laughs> oh Goldberg, did this Goldberg did he's still undefeated? The streak continues. And um, out of that, I, people have been perplexed when I say, yeah, I love you know reading literature. I, I love quoting, for instance, H. L. Mencken and Oscar Wilde. Those are two of my favorite authors. High political theory. I don't consider my. Self, an expert when it comes to theology, but I'm interested in the topic. I, I like things like that, and then I go, oh yeah, and I love professional wrestling. <laughs> and they're like, how? What, how how'd, I, that how'd that happen? how did that happen? But, um, you know, as somebody we were talking about and mentioning off-air, Jordan Peterson, in one of his lectures, he actually mentions a documentary about Bret Hart, that Bret the Hitman Hart, and he brings up, because the lecture was given, his on-telling story and meta-narratives, that wrestling is just a very bare-bones uh, archetypal story, archetypal story where it's built in: good guy, bad guy. Right. There is some obstacle. They want the championship. Each other are the obstacles, and there's going to be some resolution. And it doesn't have to be Shakespeare in
0: order to teach right. good lesson. Right. I can remember my dad, God rest his soul, saying uh, when I was a kid. He said, "These are the male soap operas," and in a very real sense, he was right. It, it's the good guy, the bad guy. It's uh, chasing the title. Who's going to win? You know, the bad guy is always trying to cheat. The good guy, you know, is always the hero at the end, comes in and saves the day. And, you know, it's funny, you were mentioning, uh, I texted you when you were on the show last night. Yeah. It was the, actually, it was the 34th anniversary, not the 33rd, the 34th anniversary of the birth of Hulkamania when he won the title in uh, January 23rd, Madison Square Garden, 1984. He beat the Iron Sheik. <gasps> Poor Bob Backlund was the champion for five and a half years. He, he lost to the Iron Sheik in December of 83. Arnold Skolan threw in the towel because bob Backlund could i mean just did not have the 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 moxie that this you know hulk hogan character right. had and then hogan comes back and next month he wins the belt in, in five minutes against the iron Sheik, and then the rest is history and you know uh winds up uh taking uh wrestling mainstream i mean if you remember wrestlemania in 1985 uh, Holy cow! I mean, that thing was huge. Is the and Mr. T. The, is that the
1: one with Andre the Giant? When Hulk? Well,
0: no, no, that was that was two years later. Okay. That was WrestleMania three at the uh, Silverdome in, in Pontiac, Michigan. Yeah. When uh, you know, it's so funny because the thing about wrestling is they would they would never really talk about the past. You know, they they acted like, oh my, this battle against Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant never <laughs> before can that you know can Hogan slam Andre? And meanwhile, you know, nineteen eighty they had wrestled at Chase Stadium. They had right. wrestled. Most, multiple times back then Hogan was the bad guy uh, Andre was the good guy and the roles had flipped but you mentioned Goldberg and it's funny because I I, I love storytelling yes. and, and you know and you mentioned Jordan Peterson and he's right you know wrestling is this primordial storytelling you know you know the the big guy's going to come in and save the day but I'll tell you Bobby Heenan the, the great Bobby yes. Heenan that guy was God rest his soul He was brilliant. I mean, he could have been a stand-up comic. He could have... Whatever. I mean, the the man was incredible. But he said the day that they gave up that loss, when when they let Goldberg lose, was the day the WCW died. Because the whole reason for watching was... Taken away. Yeah. And they gave it away for nothing. Yeah. I mean, the that was, that's way it went down. And yeah. the way it went down, I think it was a disaster. I mean, it was an absolute disaster. You know, the famous story when Ted Turner called Vince McMahon and said to, <laughs> said to Vince McMahon, he said, Vince, I'm in the wrestling business. <laughs> and McMahon turned to Tur- Turner and said, Great, Ted. I'm in the entertainment business, indeed, and I, you know, we saw who won that one.
1: Well, and he he knows his product, and yeah, it's it's another whole world too. Is what I love about wrestling is like you actually have to dive in and commit. It's not something. I mean, you might be able to turn it on, especially if you're a kid, and oh, I immediately like this. But especially with in my case, 29-year-old eyes, if I'm going to watch this stuff now, I have to get into what's the lingo, what's the backstory, how does this all work so I can appreciate sort of the how it's put together more. Um, there's one great story, Edging Christian, uh, the podcast that reeks of awesomeness. Um, they did an episode called Anatomy of a Match, and they had on Mick Foley or Mankind and Shawn Michaels. And they said they did this one move that hooked, that average viewers didn't, even recognize. But to the professionals in the back, they wanted to trick and hook them. So they knew that Mick Foley was kind of lazy at times. He wouldn't hit his spots. And they also knew that Sean was a hothead. HBK, would, his temper would flare and he'd go off on somebody in the ring and actually start punching people. So they had this setup where it looks like Sean's going to do a backflip off the top rope and hit Mick Foley, and Mick Foley just walks off. And Shawn Michaels gets all mad and starts fighting them and punching them. Leads to this great thing where they flip out of the ring, I believe. And everybody thought it was real in the back room. All the other wrestlers are like... And then 10 years later, they go, yeah, we got you guys. (laughs) We got you guys. And it's... uh, They kayfabe their own. (laughs) Yes. Kayfabe their own. And it leads me to... It's a weird segue. But it's something I heard Jordan Peterson talking about recently is we weirdly associate being a good person or a moral person with outward success and intelligence but just because you are intelligent actually means you can reach bigger heights or uh, greater heights but you can also i think fall for even deeper hells and deeper lows and that that hooking the professionals made me think of that they're so attuned to it they can't they they miss a spot. And I worry sometimes we look at, say, celebrities, very successful people in this world, politicians, presidents, whatever, and we associate them with what's right and what's good, as opposed to stepping back and going... And Peterson told the story of a woman who uh, was so messed up in the head from past trauma that she would approach people with her hand literally as a visor, like, as Peterson put it, like a, a Chinese peasant approaching the emperor, like your light shining off of you right now, Tom. And But she had been institutionalized, and after getting out, she came back to the hospital saying, I just want to help people, and can I take a patient out and walk my dog with them? And Peterson, was, the hospital, of course, didn't let her do it. But Peterson said that woman didn't had everything against her. She wasn't smart, she had all this trauma and psychological baggage, but she strove to be a good person. And I'm wondering what you think about this idea that sometimes we identify too much with the material outward success rather than looking, okay, what do you have? What's your personal situation, and what can you make out of it?
0: When you brought that up, my mind immediately went to that tragic, tragic event in our nation's history, recent history, 20-some-odd years ago with the O.J. Simpson situation with the, the deaths of Ronald Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson. One of the comments that got brought up was, well, you know, why why would such a successful man like O.J. Simpson, one of the greatest running backs of all time, a TV personality who has boatloads of money, living a very successful life, you know, why would he do something like this? And, and the implication being that somehow the fact that he had all this money and all had all this fame, that somehow that that would hermetically seal him off from the... Tragic capability of killing another human being or killing two other human beings. And that's the deception. Well, you know, successful people, you know, uh, G.K. Chesterton is a great writer. Uh, you know, the biggest lie in the world is the rich can't be bribed. Mm-hmm. And he goes, they've been bribed already, right? <laughs> because, And again, yeah. not, not to say, I mean, obviously, I mean, I, you know, this friend of mine once said, you know, I never got a job from a poor man. So, right. I mean, I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, it's not to say that because you have money that it's intrinsically evil. No, of course not. But there is always that seduction. There's always that temptation to somehow think that because I have X, Y, and Z, then somehow I'm not inclined to do something really bad i mean look at our look at our nation's leaders i mean we we give them the title honorable and we know sadly sometimes they're really not very honorable oh right. Gonna, and you talk about you know i have a friend of mine who's who's into wrestling actually right now i like i said to you before the show i mean i probably haven't watched a, a wrestling match in 15 16 years right. um, but uh, he said, you know, one thing I like about wrestling, he said, is wrestling at least is honest about it. Right. <laughs> you know, they, they, right. you know, sometimes, you know, we are in the Potemkin village, you know, oh, everything... Uh, Everything's uh, fine. Uh, Bella figura, everything in Italian. Everything, everything looks good. <laughs> Meanwhile, on the inside, it's all, you know, it's empty. It's like uh, from the uh, horrible Godfather 3, the only memorable line, as is, uh, is, uh, the great Father Crucci likes to say, was when Michael is out in the, the Vatican and there's the cardinal, who eventually will become Pope, and he takes that uh, that rock and and he kind of cracks it, and he says michael this is this is the faith of the Italian people and you know it was all, all this all this around it w- looked okay, but you know inside it was it was dead it was it was empty um, and a lot of times that's that's the reality of of the situation right i mean and and so uh, we live in this uh, deception that somehow because we have wealth or we have power that we're not capable of those things, but in many ways. We're probably more susceptible because we've already bought into the the seduction.
1: Well, and you sometimes forget what it took to get to where you are in terms of material success, in in particular, uh, that I worry that... You know, sometimes I don't want to become the the classic conservative who goes, "Oh, the society's just decadent." It's right.
0: decadence, It's decadent. And let let's be honest. Too often, that's what conservatives do. Yes, you know the scaremongering. You know, and, and oh, by the way, send your check or money order to Tom Riello Ministries, and you know, right. I'll, I'll be, I'll fight the battle for you. <laughs> right. And
1: I, so I, I, but I do worry that uh, some of the the spiritual things that sustained and created, say, this country. I'm thinking of somebody like Alexis de Tocqueville. He said that when he looked. the united states the reason it works is the democracy of the government there it's very local It's mostly voluntary, and it's infused with the spirit of religion. There's this hopeful sense that we are capable, we can do. Uh, But he makes a great point, too, that everybody kind of had the same conditions. We're all farmers. Some might be a rich farmer, might be a poor farmer. We're all kind of dealing with the same experience. So there are two things going on in this world. I'm not talking about wealth inequality. I'm not a leftist. I don't think that's a huge issue. But uh, it's more that So many people are now getting a completely different experience on the world. Dare I say I might even agree... Oh, goodness, the ratings are going to go through the floor. (laughs) Um, Barack Obama said something wise when he said, if you watch MSNBC and then you watch Fox News, you're looking at two different planets. And it's worse than just a different cable channel now. You can go on any YouTube channel you want. You can go to any website you want. I've phrased as kind of the rise of the mad prophets. Everybody's doing their best Howard Beale from network impersonation. Uh, And it makes me worry that people aren't sharing the same experience, so they're forgetting all the stories, because we talked about story before, all the stories that have sort of led up to modern society. And I worry, and I told you this off-air, I've talked about it on-air, I consider myself... I guess an atheist, and I say that because it seemed like the honest position. Uh, it was not like, oh, I'm agnostic and I don't know. If somebody asks me actively, do you believe, I say no. Um, but I am searching out and uh, I'm not ready to cut off all the things that have sustained us. And do you ever have these thoughts that people are just uh, ignorant of some of the, the stories and the traditions uh, within Christianity and outside of it that have led us to this moment? Where a lot of modern people want to say, oh, I'm not part of that
0: long chain of being. I'm, I'm modern. I'm going to
1: create myself completely anew
0: these days. Oh, I, I deal with that with the Bible. I mean, you know, I teach the Bible, and I love it. And uh, Bible studies, uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays at St. Bede's and Holy Spirit at 7 o'clock. I love that. I get to teach, you know, students all day. I, you know, teach scripture. And um, trying to get people, you know, in the day of immediate, you know gratification and iphone and and all these various social media things that are out there uh... that a story that you know is composed you know you know uh... the old testament goes back what you know six thousand years recorded history abraham you know and whatnot and and um, um Moses and David and 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 then of course Jesus and how, how could these stories have any relevance to our life today don't you know you know we, we you know we had the industrial revolution i mean we have the information <laughs> revolution we have all these revolutions uh, you know and uh and i think there's a, a tragedy when that happens because uh first off it's a kind of chronological snobbery um you know we president reagan uh once said you know he was uh at Berkeley, when he was the uh, governor of California, and they were protesting, and uh, they were, you know, talking about the, uh, the, the, the communist, and, you know, Reagan was the, the big, you know, anti-communist, and he was even then really beginning his plan to run for president. Right. And, you know, you don't understand the young people, and we're living in this day and age with all this technology, you know, heck, back in the late 60s, early 70s, we're living in a technological age, and Reagan calmly said, yes. It was my generation that built that technology, right? We forget that, yes. right? And um, there, there is a kind of snobbery that, that uh, is always present that somehow we can't learn anything from the past. You know, again, Chesterton, you know, democracy, you know, in a very real sense is indebted to the past. Oh, yeah. You know, it, life didn't just begin with us. But the fact is, a lot of times, uh, we act that way right and 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 more and more because of technology you said it best right i can i mean i can i can cut myself off from everything else that's out there because you know i i have my five favorite podcasts i have mm-hmm. my three favorite youtube channels i you know i can you know i've got 762 channels on on the whatever cable system that's out there and of course i watch my four channels you <laughs> right. know whatever it is and you can do that right because you can you know a la carte everything is right there for you to kind of pick and choose your own little world and we lose, so we have all these little micro-narratives, but we don't really recognize how do these micro-narratives build into a cohesive meta-narrative. Exactly. And that's a dirty word these days. You can't talk about meta-narrative because that means totalitarian power imposing on you, and and people don't like that. They want to be able to tell their own story. And that goes back, I mean, 1992, Justice Anthony Kennedy, um, Father Driscoll just gave a great talk. He's the pastor at Holy Spirit. He just gave a great talk recently on faith in the public square and what does that look like Hmm. and uh he quoted uh justice kennedy's opinion in planned parenthood versus casey which is a case up in you know concerning pennsylvania then the late governor of of pennsylvania governor bob casey who was a pro-life democrat uh and casey was you know he was going to cut out funding for planned parenthood and whatnot and 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 You know, direct monies to other things, and Planned Parenthood of Pennsylvania brought a case, and so on and so forth. And the Supreme Court sided with Planned Parenthood against Casey, and said, "No, you can't. You know, what you're doing is restricting this this constitutional right that women have to abortion." And uh, Kennedy wrote in the opinion that at the at the heart of liberty is the right to determine one's own meaning and values and all these different things. Okay, fine, to a point, but if Kennedy truly, truly meant that, then in many ways, you might as well open up all the prisons, right? Because he he, he really can't, because on some level, there has to be a common, agreed, objective reality that kind kind of imposes itself on us and says, no... You know, your meaning of reality may be this, but, you know, as the late mayor of New York City, Ed Kochwin, said, the right for me to throw my fist in the air stops at the tip of your nose. Yes, You know, I may want to flail my hand, but I can't hit you. You know, and uh, sometimes we get so subjective, we forget about the objective. And there's always that tension. I mean, we always have to be honest about that, but um, we we lose that in our culture. Well, I I think people do get in that mindset of,
1: anything I I weave in terms of my subjective experience is true. Now, I don't want to deny people their personal experience, but I've been in in that boat, and what shook me out of it uh, was meeting people that were more subjective than I. And, like, you really don't want to become, like, the protagonist of Crime and Punishment. The only thing stopping me from murdering somebody is my own cowardice. I mean, that's a terrible place. These are just rules externally. But I met this one woman... um, and for some reason it was when 2014 when ISIS was in the news, and they had just you know in their Toyota trucks and seized some American military equipment from the Iraqis. The Iraqis run and flee. They take um, Ramadi. I think they they take Mosul. And I'm talking about this with a few folks, and this one woman pipes up and goes, "Well, I choose just to not accept that ISIS exists." <laughs> and what? Like, I didn't want to just like talk down to her. I wanted to hear her out because that's kind of an interesting statement. She goes, well, really, I choose what is real and what I choose to believe in and what I'm going to worry about. And they, as far as I'm concerned, they don't exist. Like, what in the world? And, and that's what I worry about with some folks. There is this uh, real objective world out there. I, I do have a strong conviction in that. But where it does get complicated and where there is that tension is the... Objective world is incredibly complicated and complex. So there are a lot of interpretations. There are a lot of different ways to represent, I think, things that are very, very uh true. It's just a matter of saying, okay, what are the standards by which we're gonna discern what is true or not? And it leads me to a discussion. Again, I I said I'm an atheist, but I look at people like Richard Dawkins. I look at people like Sam Harris, I find them interesting, especially in their their fields of expertise in the sciences but I just listen to him and find it so lacking the one guy I did like was Hitchens now he very much said he's an anti-theist and I'm not one and he got a little too his his polemical style is uh, a little much entertaining but not always charitable but uh, there's this one talk where Hitchens is sitting down with Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins and he, he looks at him and he goes, you know, the one thing I worry about that we're not doing well enough is the transcendent, is the numinous. And I think that was Hitchens' background, with loving the the myths, or not the myths, the hymns in the Anglican Church. You know, some of the Anglican Church might say are myths. Uh, Henry VIII's own maid. Uh, but he said he remembered how much he loved the hymns when he was a child. He was very much a... a, a scholar when it came to poetry and and the inspired poetry of his time, and he was really touching on something that you uh, texted me about the other night. Uh, I had 84 in, and he said, Joey, now this is just what I believe. It's what I have faith in. I don't know it. And you texted me, faith is a type of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And it made me, and I can think back a few years ago, I would have said, What really? No, that's what you know something or you believe in something. But I started thinking of it in terms of I think the most important things in our lives are things we can't prove, and they're often found in narrative. And so when you read, say, a, a poem, let's pick a, an atheist who was upset about being one. He was uh, sad, W.H. Auden. And he talked about, you know, when I look up at the stars, as far as I can tell, for all they care, I can go to hell. But he leads on to saying, if if equal affection cannot be, let the more loving one be me. That if I still want to exude this love, I still want to uh, come out of this tradition of finding what is transcendent, what I don't quite understand about myself. So, let's go back to that sort of faith is a type of knowledge and... How much of, I think it plays a pivotal role in our lives, but what were you getting at when you texted me that simple phrase?
0: Well, I think one of the most important things about faith is we, on some level, we have to demystify it. Because I think what most people do with faith is they equivocate it, and so faith is a flat word that always refers to religious belief. Mm. And that's not true, okay? Um, you just talked about, you know, say, uh, the, the love of a mother, right? I mean, how do I know that my mother loves me? Well, I, I can't empirically prove that. You know, one of the problems of the Dawkins and Harris narrative is... This, this scientism, right? I, I will not believe X, Y, and Z. I can't know anything unless I can empirically prove it. And philosophers call that empiricism, right? It, right. It's got to be testable and observable. Uh, you know, I've got to go into the laboratory, and I've, I've got to be able to, you know, you know, fine-tune it or whatever. And those are the only things that, facts, <laughs> facts, you know, Columbo, you know, just the facts, as, you know, and it's a complete reduction of the human experience, Um And so, faith functions in a very real way. Uh, For example, Dawkins, let's say, I mean, I don't know if he's, I I think he's married. I imagine But let's just say, I mean, uh, actually, let me give you a real, an article that I read by uh, the late Father Richard John Newhouse in First Things Magazine years ago. Stanford, like 15 years ago, did a study on love. And and one of the things that they wanted to do was they wanted to uh, see if you could empirically prove such a thing as love okay and they did the studies and you know and 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 checked the brain waves and 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 alas they discovered that there's there's chemical reactions in the brain that go off when we experience whatever this thing is we call love or R- healing feeling and which from well certainly from a Judeo Christian worldview shouldn't be a problem because we're body and soul so the body would react to things and all that kind of stuff but uh, one of the things that they were trying to get at was well maybe love isn't this, uh, you know, emotive, you know, just uh, romantic thing, but maybe really there is the scientific, empirical evidence that we can say. And Newhouse wrote, he said, Whatever the findings of that study, one would be hard-pressed uh, to, to envision uh, the 20th wedding anniversary of the doctor and staff that did that study writing to his wife on their wedding anniversary. Dear beloved, um, we have been together these 20 years and what a time it is. And I just want to let you know that, that when I see you, the, the synapses in my brain uh, you know, go at fire. And so, my love for you is a scientific reaction, a chemical reaction of my, my body uh, to make me have these feelings for you. He's not writing that, right? No. And so, if you, you know, on some level, uh, if you cannot actually express your worldview in, I mean, what's a more fundamental reality to that man's life? This love for his wife or his research in the laboratory? I hope it's his love for his wife. Yeah. You know, so what kind of worldview is it, right? I cannot... I cannot live my life empirically. I I mean, I do. There's empirical things I know, but that's not all I know. When I go in the car, when I drive, there's certain things that I cannot empirically prove that are happening that entire time that I just trust. I just trust that when I come to a red light, that other people know what that means. It's not... Isis is, I choose not to exist, okay. right? She can't live that way when she's coming to the intersection at the boulevard and, and Vaughn. Though sometimes I think some people do. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But, unfortunate. yeah. but uh, th- that's kind of what I mean by faith is a kind of knowing. It's it, There's a way that we know things by faith, not just religious things. Now, if I build on that, then yes, of course. And then faith becomes a way of knowing about God. But even before that, in a more fundamental way, on a very human level, we exercise faith countless times every day
1: Oh, I, mean, we, I think we absolutely do um, and I well we gotta hit a break because well, we're number one in the ratings yeah number one and I have I have prime people spot listening. I can't see them I can't even hear them because I don't answer the phones often but I know they're out there I know they're listening I'm this disembodied voice in your speakers ladies and gentlemen oh, as I say that my megalomania is going nuts it's going insane I, I'm. I'm swear. I'm not growing out my hair, and growing a beard. I've already been Jesus once in Godspell. It's not. I'm not going to pull an Oscar Wilde and start comparing myself. No. It's not at all. <laughs> the album of the day is. Well, the song is "You Wouldn't Believe." Tyrone Davis, 1972. It's what we're listening to at home on vinyl. So sit back and enjoy.
0: Can't you see, baby, that it cool? job.
1: Welcome back. The conversation continued off air. And uh, I was telling you, I've been trying to read this guy named Eric Newman. 600-page book. Pretty clunky reading, translating German into English. He's a little out there. But he starts off his book that essentially sums up the 600 pages with a simple poem. Nature rejoices in nature. Nature destroys nature. Nature transforms or orders nature. So in that poem, you have a creation myth Heroes' myths and transformation myths, and it reminds me of so much of what I'm kind of been getting into. And I, I like, I don't just have a hankering to read Carl Jung and Eric Newman. It's, it's a little frustrating actually to read. But it's more like, okay, Joey, you have this idea that what you need to do is study meta narrative study how we tell stories. Mm-hmm. Where, well, how do we get truth, so to speak, out of stories? And I I think the stories that we tell, and how I would define faith, even as somebody doesn't say, oh, a particular religious faith, as your identity. Where did you come from, um, and who are you around, who do you love, and where, well, it's it's more getting into hope, where do you want to go. But in particular, if you're trying to understand where you come from, it can't stop, and we spoke to this earlier, it can't stop at my immediate family, my parents and my brothers and sisters, my grandparents. And it can't even be defined by just, oh, I went to Ancestry.com and I'm related right. to Henry the Eighth. It has to be what are the stories that have shaped society profoundly? And there's something that I didn't understand, I kind of got it, and I just accepted it on faith, um, that Faustin Weber told me when I was a senior at Catholic. Uh, he said that it's cool that you're reading existentialism like Nietzsche and Sartre and all these guys. But uh, all that stuff is not possible unless you have the history of Christianity, you have the Bible in particular, and if you really want to understand those guys, you must understand the thousands of years before. And so I kind of I go, oh yeah, okay, yeah, you're probably right. But I didn't do the heavy lifting and the work, and that's what I'm starting to get back into. Um, so on a personal note, I'm wondering, you teach scripture, as you said. hmm and when do you do this? On Tuesday? Well,
0: and, and in, for the adults, it's Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and then on Sundays we do we do a, an adult ed at, at Holy Spirit. But yeah, Tuesday and Wednesday we do a Bible study uh, in the parish, and um, during, during class uh, at Montgomery Catholic, right now I'm doing the identity class that Faustin used to teach, and uh, yeah. you know, so I got my... Because I taught you one section of the seniors, and he taught the other section. I had you for ethics, first semester. Yes. Oh, I still remember. remember where you sat, Joey? Still I remember, remember where you sat. I remember it very fondly. It, it's amazing. I, 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 last time we were on a camera, it just blows my mind. Holy smoke! Twelve years. Yeah. When you said you were twenty nine, I, 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 I what? <laughs> oh, he's about to be thirty. This is awful. You know, that's what I said to my students the other day. This great we have an amazing group of seniors there at montgomery catholic this year and and what's been fun for me is um i have not taught them before uh, this is the first year i'm teaching them last two senior classes i taught three of the four years and um you know uh they, they, I think they came up with a, a name for me, TMR, Too Much Riello. You know, like, okay, you know. All right, we've been down this road before. Well, these guys, it's all new, and, and, and so they have the loud, obnoxious New Yorker, and they're like, you know, who is this guy? Um, but one of the things I said to them was, you know, I'm getting older every year. But you guys are saying the same age. Because <laughs> when I started, I was 35 and You're you guys were, were seven Views. You know? All right, all right, all right. That's a different context.
1: It's not what he said, it's not what Tom said. Um, and I think a big part of uh, my shift in my spiritual journey has been I was raised in the church. My uncle's a Monsignor. Right. And I respected, especially seeing as I've gotten older what he does for people and that he. He just wanted to be a local pastor. They I think wanted him to do more in the church and the hierarchy. And he's like, No, I just wanna right. serve people at the local level. And I think though being raised in it, I didn't uh I didn't appreciate it in the sense that it was already it was like ready-made. Here it is. Right.
0: Follow. It was the air you breathe, it was everywhere, and sometimes that can almost become oppressive. Even though it wasn't forced on you, no. it just feels that way.
1: No, and it became more like here's the rule book, follow the rule book and I came across an understanding of the word belief in a different way. You mentioned it earlier with a, maybe somebody writing a romantic letter. Beloved. Beloved. What are you working towards to stay true to? That's another way we can understand the word true and truth. Is, oh, if I work with this relationship uh, to something over time, uh, you might find that you discover things you never would have expected and couldn't have foreseen. And that's a bit of where I'm going is how can I understand stories of the past? That's a key part of faith. But also, what should I be devoted to at the end of the day? And uh, a big part of why this woke up in me is the fact that my mom passed, but also uh, that politics, I think, kind of became our religion for a little while. Right. And it is not a good religion
0: it's a dangerous place to be i mean and i get that temptation because going back years i mean i was very much into politics going back in the in the early nineties you know thinking that if we just get the right people in you know we're gonna we're you know we're gonna win you know we're gonna win we're gonna get the right people and again that's a kind of uh, deception right because it's not true because it, it's almost a denial of the fact Here's a fancy three dollar word from your uh, Catholic upbringing: yeah. concupiscence. You know this idea, and and the founders I think recognized that's what you have the whole checks and balances for, right? Because of concupiscence, you know, people don't even have to be malicious, but concupiscence is this uh, idea that there's a kind of inclination, a, a pull toward bad. Mm-hmm. You, you know, uh, here's a good way of explaining that, right? You don't have to teach your three year old or four year old to lie his way out of a mess, right? You know, you no know one, no parent sits down and now listen, when I bake these cookies and I tell you don't eat them until dinner time, you know, you sneak one off. You don't need to tell them to do that. There's a, well, where does that come from? Well, we say it's, there's, a, there's a kind of inclination that we have toward not necessarily doing the right thing. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Sometimes it's malice. Uh, sometimes it's just ignorance, mm. right? Sometimes it's just not thinking clearly, you know? And, um... Which, again, is a result of, you know, we would say as as, as Judeo-Christian worldview, the primordial fall. The original sin darkens the inc- intellect, the ability to think clearly. Um, inclines the the individual toward uh, a turn away from, from God and from what is good. Um, and, you know, the, the story idea, here's something, and there's a book... Um, called Tattoos of the Heart and Father Victor Ingalls who's an amazing vocations director for the Archdiocese of Mobile uh, he gave me the book a uh, couple of years ago and it was fascinating because this priest works with a lot of young men in the inner city of Los Angeles in the gangs mm. that's why it's called Tattoos of the Heart and one of the points that the priest made in there was that um, w- where does the whole gang culture come from and, and where do the tattoos come from those are signs of belonging, the piercings, the tattoos, um, the, the marking of the body. Now, you, again, remember from catechism class, that's language that should be familiar, because when you're baptized, you're marked. Yep. You're tattooed, if you will. But when that tattoo no longer works, or doesn't uh, appeal, or is, is not accepted, or not known, we will try to find the other tattoos, We will mark ourselves. We will define ourselves. What is advertising? Mm. The essence of advertising is to create a need within its hearer. You, You can talk yourself out of a want. You can't talk yourself out of a need. And we need fill in the blank, X, Y, and Z. Again, I don't have a problem with that. But what people need to be aware of is that's what's being sold to them. Yes. Just be aware of it you know make a decision and think it through and don't just kind of blindly go along but everybody's trying to identify themselves and and one of the things that the priest in that story what in the book was was doing was he was he was teaching them and catechizing them and and he was like monsignor your your uncle does he was working in very small ways teaching them job training you know giving them an alternative to what was out there Right. A, a real alternative. Right. you know, guys went off to become bakery chefs and I mean this there's th- been amazing work. He's been you know recognized and stuff like, wow, he's he's doing really good work. And he's right there in South Central LA, but reminding them, no, this this gang identity, that's not that's that's not it. This identity, the identity that you have by virtue of baptism, being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and living in Him, that that's the identity. And, you know, you've seen a lot of great success where people actually believe that. You know, and I, for myself, I mean, that's that's how I define the story of my life. Mm. I, I really believe it. I mean, as, as much as I'm sitting here talking to you right now, I really believe that a man, two, almost 2,000 years ago, walked this earth, claimed to be God incarnate, was crucified on a Roman cross, and on the third day was raised, and... You know, 40 days after that, ascended into heaven, and then, you know, after that, the Holy Spirit came on the church on the day of Pentecost. I, I really believe that. Um, one of your classmates, I'll never forget this, David. Remember David? Yeah, oh yeah. Best question to this day that I was ever asked in a class. Um, uh, David, folks, is from Brazil, and uh, Brazil's a very Catholic country, but, you know, again, like Michael in, uh, you know, Godfather Three, the practice may not be the, the best, and, um he asked me a question in class, he said to me, he said, Mr. Riello, can I ask you a question? I said, Sure, Davi, sure, ask me a question. He said, You speak as if you know. Hmm. How do you know? And it and it you know, twelve years later Joey, I could still remember the day he asked me that question.
1: Oh yeah, and it's um well it puts you on the spot because no matter how much you learn, no matter how much you grow, and I think we all do, and hopefully we do, uh, at the end of the day it does come down to well this is the relationship I have chosen right with the world
0: and there is that element of the I mean it, it, it's a real commitment of faith yeah. I mean I don't deny that right faith is a form of knowledge on driving a car getting an airplane but then there's that high... you know Aquinas called faith the the in theological sense the highest form of knowledge because it, it talks about more you know significant things but there you know when I said yes to my wife my wife said yes to me in marriage you know the there's that faith. There's that, you know, I, I have to commit myself to this person. You know,
1: and it's something that I, um, well, I was just thinking of what you're saying, how people will adopt. And I did it with politics. Um, you can, I think, fall into it, especially those who find success early, like material stuff. I got this great car, and I've got great food. And you know, because I'm rich, uh, women or men are surrounding me. or uh, People can get lost in so many blind alleys that might sustain them for a little while, like fool themselves for a little while, and then they fall back down to Earth, and it's even a a tougher uh, way... It's even tougher to pick yourself up. You're like, okay, what's next after that? And it reminds me of... um, I've been reading Carl Jung's Modern Man in Search of a Soul. And one of the parts that really spoke to me is he was taking this idea, it's the famous Nietzsche quote, God is dead and we have killed him. Right. I've seen people quote that as like, yeah, Nietzsche was standing victorious, like conquered the vanquish. And he was, I mean, he wrote a book called The Antichrist. He wasn't like a fan, but uh, to put it mildly, but when he's saying that, he's very, very sad. It's like the ultimate tragedy. This thing that has sustained our culture
0: is, it's kind of been undone. By all sorts of people, and there are a lot of culprits. Well, he's kind of mocking the Enlightenment philosophy, like yeah. Kant, and and uh, yeah, we, we've kind of done away with any 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 need for God. But whoa, whoa, whoa we don't want to go where that goes. Well, and he almost calls <laughs> Hitler and
1: Stalin. He, it, I don't. He might have prophesized it. He's like this: people will come around. You know, a great figure that's a powerful figure, not not in the sense of how Jesus plays a role, or I would say somebody like Socrates might play a role. And Jung takes this. And says, this is a very important point. That maybe, because I think the, the church is always perfecting itself, like the Catholic church. There are certain things that don't change, but there are certain understandings that do. And I think if you look at the history of Christianity with all of the denominations, any religion, any faith, Islam, Judaism, there's an ongoing conversation. But if you say, one, especially in the modern age, part of the conversation falls off. For some reason, the old tradition just isn't speaking to folks anymore. Young postulated that that will show up in some other way. It might be uh, he claimed, and he was, I think, pretty right about this, that Eastern philosophy will come into the West. Right. And it very much has. Right. And sometimes in silly forms, like I do yoga every right, morning, right. Um, but I don't do the,
0: There's not going to be an empty wasteland. Exactly. You know, what's the old saying? Nature abhors a vacuum. Something's going to yeah. fill it, right? Because we need that.
1: Or, uh, he said, and more prominently, is it will go into and be defined as problems of the psyche. Where folks used to find that solace in, say, their faith, and it was sort of all-encompassing of society, that it's now defined as a psychological problem. And I sometimes worry that we are, uh, you know, looking at somebody, say, like a, a Hitler. And Daily Caller ran this thing. Erica Badu said, I saw I could see the good in Hitler. And I'm like, well, you don't want to be quoted saying that. But I, I'll put it the different way. The tyrant in you is the tyrant in me. That if you put yourself in a particular situation enough and really think about could I do incredibly evil things, the answer is don't kid yourself. You probably could. Right. And this is why you are in need of, say, to be saved, to have grace, or just in the need to realize that I'm capable of these things, so let me address that, that dragon that I don't want to f- confront. And where I think a lot of folks go wrong, especially in the atheist, sort of scientifically-minded community, and I see the problem in politics, everything's a scientist, we did a study, we have the statistics, without telling any larger story, is they're they're losing that connecting bridge. And that leads to, okay, you don't even think about certain things that you let go. You threw the baby out with the bathwater. And so while that's kind of the unknown, you're not even thinking about it, it manifests itself as, put it as a dragon or some force that will come back and and bite you. I mean, we could put it, there's a reason for flood stories. It's not a story of like, okay, God's just mad, people have fallen away. It's like, no, if human beings don't prepare for things they probably should know about, bad things happen. Mm -hmm. And this happened can be on a grand scale. Look at Hurricane Katrina. They didn't. Didn't put in money for the dikes, for the levees. Uh, or it could be on a personal level that if you let some part of yourself fester and you don't develop it and you don't really examine it uh, through whatever path, you might fall into being in a gang. You might be an ideological a hole in politics. You might uh, fall into drug addiction or abuse in some way. And instead of fostering and having balance in life, um, part of me thinks that uh, Epicurus is given short shrift. Like I knew
0: Epicurus was going to come up.
1: Well, because <laughs> I read some guy is a lawyer. He's a sponsor, Greg Biggs. He gave me uh, Tolstoy's A Confession, and the way Tolstoy talks about Epicurus reminds me how Cicero talks about him. That it's all prudence and all pleasure to him. And I'm like, and they don't. He doesn't give enough credit to friendship. Yet he, Epicurus, is the guy who says friendship is what makes the world go around. Right. And he's a guy for 500 years who had statues built to him, yet he never was in politics. He he had a, a garden where he would teach people. And it, it made me step back and say, okay, I don't think prudence is everything, but if you step back and find the, the moderation of that even virtues and good intentions can lead you down a dark path. Um, and to give a quick example, man, we're Uh, out of time Uh, I think it's an old Shiite Muslim uh, understanding, I got this from Joseph Campbell of why Satan fell Satan loved God the most and when God creates human beings and tells all the angels well don't just bow to me, love them too Satan's the one who goes no I love you and he refuses to bow and his love which is well intentioned consumes him it's not that he wanted his own kingdom it's that he only wanted to love God and he couldn't learn to love
0: God. No, we got to come back. I got to come back on and talk about what Archbishop Sheen had to say about about the fall. <laughs> okay, yeah, and
1: I, I hate to drop that with thirty seconds left, but uh, I need more than an hour. No, yeah, and I want to come on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. That's what I was leading to bring up. You teach? That'd I be like great. To stop by um, because I am serious that this is a, a journey, and I can't let things fester.